six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go and take a seat. Uh, good morning, Life Point Riverdale. It is good to be back with you today. Uh, I, I get to pop in here maybe three or four times a year, and it's always a, a, a privilege and joy for me to be here with you. Uh, I'll uh, go ahead and start with a bit of a reminder. I, I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open to John chapter 12, but I'll open with a little bit of a reminder. Uh, Actually, a reminder for me, not, not for you, a reminder for me that my son gave me this morning. Um, my son, I came into the bedroom this morning, and I saw him laying in bed. I said, hey, buddy, it's Sunday. We're going to get up. We're going to go to church. And I said, hey, do you, Dad's going to preach today. Do you want to come in and, and hear me preach? And my son goes, he goes, Dad, can I tell you something? He's five. He said, Dad, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, sure. He goes, you preach really long. <laughs> So I will try not to today, my son. He's there on the third row. Uh, man, nothing like a good just gas up on a Sunday morning, a good encouragement from the, from the ones who are the quickest to remind us of our flaws. Well, anyway, uh, let's, let's pray as we, uh, as we get ready to, to, to dive into God's word. Father God, once again, we ask that you would speak to us, Lord. Speak, Lord, through your word. Let your word come out in power today as we reflect on this amazing story, a story that you said, Christ, that would echo through eternity, through all generations. Lord, you speak to our hearts and convict us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our series called From Death to Life. Uh, looking at the last events of the life of the Lord Jesus leading up to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father. And so the passage that we just had read for us is a very significant one in this story. As a matter of fact, it's very significant to the Apostle John. If you noticed, even before the story we talked about last week, where we looked at the Lord raising Lazarus up from the dead, John mentions this story. If you just peek, we're not going to have it on the screen, but if you just peek at, at, at the first, uh, at, at chapter 11, verse 2, John, even before getting into the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, John mentions this story that we're going to be talking about today. So this story must have truly captivated John. Of course, John the apostle was there and he witnessed the whole thing happen. But I was thinking yesterday as I was just reflecting on this passage again, that maybe as John 
was writing his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the memory of this day was coming back to him. And it's almost like he could smell the perfume all over again that Mary poured out on the feet of the master. Have you ever noticed how fragrance has this really powerful ability to like transport you back in time or, or fill you with nostalgia or, or, or like all sorts of different emotions? Like maybe your husband breaks out a cologne he hasn't wore since you dated. And I remember in high school, I was all about Hollister cologne. That was my thing. I never bought anything else from Hollister. I never wore any Hollister shirts, but that cologne, I felt like a king in that stuff. <laughs> Or maybe it's, it's like, you know, when you go into a school for the first time after graduating and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like I'm back. It's like, it's like I'm late for English class. Or, or maybe you pass by a woman on the street and she's wearing a perfume very similar to, to the perfume your mother used to wear. And it's, it's like you're a child again. You, 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 you remember her, you're transported back. It, it brings back a memory. Fragrance has this ex extremely powerful ability to fill our hearts with all sorts of memories and emotions for good or bad. Well, in John 12, in this passage that we just read, we are encountering a story with the sweet fragrance of life and worship amidst a time that was going to be filled with a lot of suffering and death. We see Jesus anointed for burial in Bethany. And again, this is happening not long after the miracle that we witnessed last week. We see this sweet fragrance of worship throughout this whole short story. And so there are a few things that I think this passage can teach us about worship. I think it's jam-packed with great application and great things for us to think about. It, it must be because it was so significant to John. And so there are three things that I think this story can show us today about worship. First, worship permeates. Worship permeates. Second, worship prepares. And finally, we'll see that worship prizes. Worship permeates, worship prepares, worship prizes. Let's look first at how this story shows us the way that worship permeates. Look with me again at the first three verses of this passage. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Important word here. So, so, they're in Bethany, where Jesus was. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Martha's service is in response to the miracle that Jesus had done. Raised Lazarus from the dead, her brother. Here's another important word at the beginning of verse 3. Mary, therefore... So again, the same so, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary and Martha are still glowing from this incredible miracle that they had just witnessed. Jesus the Lord had brought their brother back from the dead. He had raised their, their brother from the dead. And so both of them, out of worship for the Lord, respond in their own way. 
I love this. We see that two different women, two, these, these two sisters responding to the same thing in a very different way, in their own ways. Martha did what she loved to do. She served. She found a way to serve. We all know people like Martha. You know, that guy who, he may not be the best with words, or maybe he's not, you know, he isn't going to be the guy who's going to write you an awesome card or or a letter, but he's the guy who's going to come to your house and show you he loves you because he's going to, you know, fix your plumbing or whatever. He's going to help you move. He's going to fix, he's going to build something for you. People who's just going to find a way to serve, or maybe that the, the, the woman who's always looking for ways to, you know, cook or clean or sew or do something where, we, where she can serve. I remember what, we have a dear, dear sister at our, at our LifePoint Brussels campus, and she is Martha. She's Martha at her best, and she's Martha at her worst. She is a servant. She's the, she's the woman who she's going to get there before everything starts and set up and make sure that everyone has food and make sure that there's drinks prepared and, and make sure everything's ready. She's going to be the last one to leave. She's going to be cleaning up. She's gonna, I mean, you could be going just for a, a staff meeting and she's going to have cookies set out for you and coffee. I mean, what a blessing people like Martha are. I hope this story can redeem Martha a little bit. I hate that, that poor Martha goes down in history known for the, the one bad thing she did, right? When she was a little bit of a busybody and everyone, now everyone just says, don't be such a Martha. Maybe some people need to start being more like Martha, start actually doing some stuff. So uh, anyway, so Martha, Martha's like, like, like some people who just, they, they, they show their love, they show their devotion to Christ and their love for his people by finding ways to serve and give and do for them. So Martha's response to what Jesus did for her was to find ways to serve him and his disciples. She says, let's throw a celebratory dinner. Let's throw a celebration. So she's running around the house, filling up cups, serving plates, you know, cleaning up, running all back and forth, making sure everyone has what they need so that it's a, it's a wonderful time of celebration. Now, we've seen her do this before, like I just mentioned. In Luke's gospel, he tells us about a time when uh, Mary and Martha were there with Jesus and uh, uh, Martha's running around, uh, you know, preparing and, and hosting and all that stuff. And she gets irritated that her sister Mary is not helping her, but is instead sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus teach. You remember that story? And remember she goes up, Martha goes up to the Lord and she says, Lord, don't, don't you care about me? I've been slaving away all day and look at my sister. She hasn't done anything. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen. She's chosen the better portion. She, she's been sitting at my feet listening to me. You probably could, could take note of her and what she's doing. She's here to worship me. But, you, but, but you're worrying about, about all these things you shouldn't be worrying about. You, you're, you're missing, you're, you're losing your focus. You've lost the plot, Martha. But not this time, not in John 12. Martha's still rushing around, serving, cleaning, cooking, all that stuff. And yet she's doing it with a calm heart. She's doing it with thankfulness. She's sincere. She's just there to serve Jesus because she's so thankful and so moved by this amazing power that he has and that he, she's been touched by him. So you can imagine the house filled with peace, laughter, not tension, not frustration. You know, you know when you're at someone's house and, and they're mad. No, laughter, calm, joy, and filled with the aroma of the dinner, the meal that Martha has been, has, has been preparing. 
So that's how Martha responded to the Lord. Let's look at how Mary responded to the Lord. Mary also responded by doing what Mary loved to do. She came and she sat at the feet of Jesus, just like we saw her in that other story with Mary and Martha. But this time, Mary doesn't just sit and listen. Instead, this time, in response to what Jesus had done, Mary offers Jesus her most prized possession. Mary pours out this, the scripture says, very expensive perfume, ointment, on Jesus' feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, no doubt, we're going we're gonna to call to mind a lot of other things that happened in the gospel stories today. No doubt, Mary is also remembering something that happened earlier in Christ's ministry. Do you remember when Jesus went to have dinner with a Pharisee and he came into the Pharisee's house? The Pharisee didn't offer him anything to wash the, the dust of the road and the dirt off of his feet. He just comes in and they're sitting at the table and a prostitute comes in, a woman of the city, she's called. And she comes in and she begins to sit at Jesus' feet. She also has some ointment she uses, but she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. You can imagine this woman who knows how unworthy she is to be in the presence of the Lord, sitting at his feet with a steady stream of tears dripping down from her nose as she's wiping the dust of the road, the filth off of Jesus' feet. And remember the Pharisee says, gosh, Jesus, if, if, you were, if you were anybody, you would know who this woman was. She says, I, I know exactly who this woman is. Look at how she's honoring me. This story must have made an incredible imprint on Mary. Maybe the words of Christ to this prostitute still rang in Mary's ears as she was going to get the perfume to walk back in the room and pour them out on Jesus' feet. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's what he said to her. So Mary, gripped by this story, follows suit to offer a similar act of worship of the Lord. Only instead of her tears, Mary pours out this incredibly expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more later about the significance of this, but right now it's important to know this perfume, look, this, this, wasn't, the, this wasn't the chump perfume that you get at Dillard's, right? Is that where you buy chump perfume or is that expensive perfume? I don't even know. Where you, I buy perfume online for my wife. This is the good stuff. I mean, this is the good stuff. Judas says, hey, listen, this could be sold for 300 denarii. Well, depending on where you look, you're going to get different figures for how expensive this would be in today's money. I saw anywhere from $10,000 perfume to $25,000 worth of perfume. That's a lot of money. I think it's safe to say this is the most expensive thing that Mary owned. Mary could have been flushed with cash. I don't know. I doubt it. This is probably the most expensive thing that she owned, and she poured it out on Jesus's feet, the most valuable thing that she had. And it says in verse three that as she poured out this perfume on the feet of the Lord, that the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. So imagine this. Imagine, like, like, imagine you're transported back and you're there in Simon the leper's house. That's where they were. 
you're there and, and Jesus is there with his disciples. Lazarus is there. Martha's running in and out. Mary's there pouring this out. And all these smells are going on. You have the smell of freshly baked bread, fresh wine that, from, from Martha's kitchen. And then you have this sweet fragrance, this flowery fragrance of this perfume that Mary is pouring out. And you, you can imagine a passerby on the street walking by an open window of this house going, man, something amazing is happening in there. I want to go in there. You can imagine the worship of Mary and Martha permeating the house that they were in. Brothers and sisters, worship of the Lord does not start and stop when we open our Bibles or when we come to church and sing and then leave. That's not when worship starts and stops. Worship is a way in which we live our lives. Worship is a posture of our hearts. And the times when we read, we sing, we serve, we pray are the outflow of hearts that are oriented always toward magnifying and cherishing Christ. Cherishing Christ isn't just something we do. Cherishing Christ is a way in which we live our lives Our lives are built around exalting and valuing Jesus above all. And then we demonstrate that we value him in the ways that we worship, in these sort of outward expressions of our worship. Worship should permeate, therefore, everything that we do. Worship should permeate everything we do here at this church, at all of our campuses at LifePoint, all around Tennessee and all around the world. We are here to exalt Jesus Christ. We're not here to exalt the pastor, the church, the brand. We're not here so people think life point is great. We are here to magnify and exalt the King and God who saved us. Jesus Christ is the greatest and highest treasure of this church, and he always will be. Worship should permeate our homes. We don't disciple our kids because it would be really nice if our kids were really well behaved and, did, and, and never annoyed us. That's not why we disciple our kids. We disciple our children. We worship with our family because Christ the Lord is worthy to be worshiped by our children. He is worthy to be followed by them. We discipline our kids, not because they've offended us, but because when they sin, they offend the holiness of God. And we want to teach our children to value and revere the holiness of God and obey him. Jesus is the treasure of our homes. He's the treasure of all that we do. Look, we we sent off a bunch of student teams this weekend to go all around the world. So I think here at Riverdale, I think I heard that you guys have some people in Atlanta. You have some people in Brussels, maybe some. We have other people in in Brazil. I think I think it's a river. Is that where the Riverdale students are? Brussels. We don't send teams to Brussels or Bangkok or Brazil. We don't send missionaries because it'd be really great if some people in the Brazilian favelas in Sao Paulo had some clean water and food to eat. We send them because Christ the Lord deserves to be worshipped by people in the slums of Sao Paulo to the high rises in Brussels. 
Christ the Lord deserves to be worshiped. That's why we do what we do. Worship permeates all that we do. Everything is about making Christ known. And this sweet fragrance of worship draws people in. Listen, the world is filled, is it not, with the stench of rebellion and sin and brokenness and hopelessness. It stinks, and it's the world that we live in. But our homes, our churches, our lives should be places where the sweet fragrance of Jesus Christ and his gospel is encountered by all, like the person walking by an open window at Simon the leper's house and smelling all this stuff happening and saying, man, I want to be in there. Something amazing is happening over there. I saw a video this week of this, um, uh, this guy who I guess he, he, he's part of this team who is examining artifacts from the Titanic. So I guess they'd bring these artifacts back up, bring them back to their lab, and they would examine them. And he talked about how the, it's, it, uh, these, these pieces of the ship, these different artifacts in the ship have been underwater for so long that they're just rotten, you know, mildewy, disgusting. He says that, that the lab becomes a really unpleasant place to work because it's just the smell of rust and decay and death just fills up the whole room. He says that it's a smell perfectly alien. He said, it's unlike anything you've ever smelled before. But he spoke about a time when they recovered this leather satchel that had been zipped up tight. So they bring this leather satchel out and one of the researchers opens it up and it had been filled with this really expensive perfume that had just been sitting there sealed shut all these years. And he says that when they opened it, it was like an explosion of flowery, fruity fragrance that just worked its whole way through the room. This researcher got incredibly emotional as he was talking about, about this. And he said that just for a few minutes, surrounded by all these dead things, the fragrance of heaven worked its way through the lab. And he says, and just for a few moments, it was like the ship came alive again. And we got to experience what it must have been like to be there before everything was destroyed. This is what the people of God should be like in a world filled with the stench of sin and rebellion. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15. The Apostle Paul says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Worship must permeate all that we do. Second, this story teaches us that worship prepares. Worship prepares. Now, Mary's choice to anoint Jesus with this, with this specific perfume wasn't random. It was intentional. It wasn't that Mary was like, uh, well, um, you know, I have this perfume that I was planning on wearing, but I think I might pour it out on Jesus's feet instead. Now, this, she had this perfume for Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus says that she was preparing him, anointing him for his burial. Now, this is interesting because Jewish people didn't normally, you don't normally anoint someone for burial while they're still alive. Like, like, like a week before they die, 
They don't normally do that. This is not after they die. Mary had just gone through the process probably of anointing Lazarus, her brother, when they buried him. This is a way, this anointing is a way of honoring the dead and then combating the stench of death as, as they're, as they're you know, going through this grieving process and putting them in their graves. Mary had been saving this perfume, I believe. She had been saving this perfume to use on Jesus at his burial. Now, the passage we read, it says in the main text, it says, Jesus, um, he says, uh, leave her alone so she may keep it for the day of my burial. But if you look down the footnote, another way to translate that would be, leave her alone for she intended to keep it for the day of my burial. So Mary had probably purchased this perfume, I don't know when, but purchased this perfume and was intending to use it on Jesus after he died. But after what he did for Lazarus, her brother, it's like she couldn't hold back. I can't wait to offer you my most valuable possession after you die. I have to do it now. I want to give him this now. So she pours it out on his feet and begins to wipe it with her hair. Now, how did Mary know? If what I'm saying is true, how did Mary know that Jesus was about to die? I think there are a few ways we can know this. First of all, it says in chapter 11 that some of the Jews who were, who were there when Lazarus was raised, some of the Jews who were with Mary and Martha went and they told the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are like, I guess we got to kill this guy quick. And so it's not unreasonable to think that some of the Jews who had gone and told the Pharisees, maybe word had kind of come back through the grapevine that, hey, the Pharisees are, are going to, they're looking for their chance to get Jesus. They're trying to off Jesus as soon as possible. It's not unreasonable to think that this news reached back. Chapter 11, verse 54 uh, says that Jesus even stopped walking openly among the Jews because he knew of the plot of the Pharisees. So it could have been this way, but however, also think about who Mary was and what she was like. Mary had to have known how Christ's ministry would end. Jesus told his disciples so many times, here's how this is going to end. And then he dies and all the Pharisees and all his disciples are like, well, what do we do now? I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Mary was one of his most devoted followers. She listened closely to what he said, and she regularly sat at his feet. Like, I want to be front row. I want to be the row in front of front row. That's how close I'm going to be. That's how, how, how closely I'm going to listen. I don't want to miss a word this man says. Her heart was deeply close to his heart. And think about this perfume. She had to, I don't think, I don't think Jesus raised Lazarus and then Mary says, off to the store to buy this $25,000 thing of perfume. This had to have been something she had for a long time. Maybe early in Christ's ministry, she, she purchased this or, 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 or began working toward getting it. She was holding on to this perfume before news of the Pharisees' plan would have reached her. So she was already preparing. Mary was already preparing for how she could honor Jesus after his death. Mary's actions here anticipated what would come days later that we're going to be talking about. When Jesus is beaten, killed, buried. Maybe, maybe some of her own tears were mixing with the perfume as she was washing Jesus' feet as she began to really think about what it would mean for the resurrection and the life to be sealed away in the tomb after his death. Well, Mary's worship prepared Jesus for his death and resurrection, but in a different way, our worship, our worship 
may be what prepares other people to encounter the truth of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. See, our worship as the people of God is a proclamation to the world that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he's no longer in the tomb, but that he's on the throne, which is what we're going to celebrate on Easter. Who knows, brothers and sisters, who knows how God will use your life of worship to prepare other people to encounter the one true and living God. The way that you honor Christ in your marriage, in your parenting, your devotion to the word, your commitment to church could be working right now in the lives of lost friends, lost family members, lost neighbors to prepare them to meet the Savior who is the object of your joy, who is your greatest treasure. Man, it is a powerful thing to watch someone love something, isn't it? It is a powerful thing to watch someone love something. Are there things in your life that you love right now and you love it because you saw the way someone else loved it and that made you love it? Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, my, my younger brother's like super into music and stuff, and he, he gives me bands to listen to. And um, I remember he told me about this one band. And I went and I checked out some of their songs. I didn't really, I called him, I, called him, I said, hey, this, this is not for me. And he's like, oh, that's a shame, man. Well, here, let me tell you, did you listen to this song? Dude, this song is so great, man. You've got to listen to it. Here, here's this, this little cool detail about this song. Here's how this band transformed music. Here's how they did whatever. And he was going on and on and on talking about how amazing this band was. And I thought, Okay, well, man, yeah, he really likes them. Wow, this, I, they do sound kind of cool now, now, now that you mention it. So I went back and they're one of my favorite bands now. It's something about his love for them spurred me on to love, some, to, to love them. Sometimes you have to watch someone love something before you can love it yourself. Well, no one doubted that Mary truly loved Jesus because they saw the way that she lived and they saw how she responded to him. So let's ask ourselves, what does my life say about my love for Christ? If someone were to look at my life over the next five days, would love for Jesus be contagious to them? Would they see a love for Jesus that is so real and so intense and so heartfelt that they are forced to think, man, there must be something to this? There must be something to the gospel. Is our, are our lives billboards for the greatness of Christ? Do people see our lives and is it evident in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we treat each other, that Christ is our greatest treasure? Do people see how he has transformed us? Can people feel the weight of his glory? when they hear us talk about him. Worship, our worship prepares people to encounter Jesus. Worship prepares. Finally, this story teaches us that worship prizes. Worship. So far, we've really kind of focused on Mary and Martha, but there's another person in this story, Judas, one of the big villains of the gospel stories. Judas wasn't happy that Mary poured this perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, at first, 
Judas sounds perfectly pragmatic. As a matter of fact, Judas sounds like he might fit in really well on some finance committees somewhere. Asking, well, listen, come on, guys, come on. It's a lot of perfume. It's really expensive. Do we really need to pour all of it out on Jesus' feet? Mary, pour, pour a little bit out. But we, we, couldn't we use this to, to, to help some poor people? We could sell this. Come on. Very pragmatic. Very businesslike. Maybe even a little reasonable to maybe more financially minded people. Maybe there's some people here and you're like, oh, well, I mean, to be honest, did you need the whole thing of it? I mean, that's an expensive perfume. But Judas was a fraud. He was a fraud. He kept charge of the money bag for the disciples. He managed the ministry funds for Christ's ministry, and he embezzled money for himself. He saw $25,000 worth of perfume, and he saw an opportunity for him to line his own pockets. He saw a chance for him to get something from this. In fact, Jesus was about to betray, I'm sorry, Judas was about to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't a lot of money. I saw, again, some estimates said 7,500 bucks in modern money, maybe $10,000. That's not a lot of money to sell out the son of God. But this is who Judas was. Now, this is interesting. Judas saw the same miracles that Mary and Martha saw. He heard the same sermons. He lived in the same community. He was a part of the same group. He saw all the things. He probably even saw more than they saw because he actually traveled around with Jesus. But his response to Christ is totally different. Why? Well, it's because Judas was committed to the thing that Judas valued the most, himself. Judas was the object of his own worship. Why should precious perfume be poured out on Jesus's feet? I deserve a cut of that. I should get a cut of that. I'm entitled to it. I, I, I walk around with them. I have to walk around in the hot sun all day. I left my livelihood to follow this man. I kind of I deserve a bit of that. P oftentimes people who embezzle money from, from ministries feel that, they that they're entitled to it, right? Well, Judas felt entitled to this. This shouldn't all be poured out on him. I need a bit of that. Like Satan before him, Judas wanted what belonged only to the Lord. Now, this is a crucial contrast in this story. Mary and Martha's selfless devotion to Christ versus Judas's selfish desire to monetize Christ's ministry. It's important. These two things are juxtaposed next to each other. Well, Jesus rebukes Judas. Look again at verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. You do not always have me. Mary hears that and thinks, my opportunities to tangibly worship the Lord are limited. They're coming to an end. I won't always have a chance to do this. I have to do this now. What do you think went through Judas's mind? When Jesus says, you won't always have me with you. Judas, maybe in that moment, if he hadn't already, began thinking, all right, how can I milk this for as much as I can before this whole thing comes to an end? I heard the rumors. The Pharisees are going to try to kill him. Maybe, 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 maybe there's an opportunity for me here to make some money off this man before this ministry ends. Martha 
offered her service to Jesus. Mary offered her most valuable possession to Jesus, but Judas wanted to keep as much as he could for himself. True worship prizes the object of that worship. We worship that which is the most valuable to us. $10,000 worth of perfume was nothing to Mary because Christ was worth more than anything. But Judas was willing to sell Jesus, his friend, his Lord, the Lord, out for a few pieces of silver because he loved himself more. What about you? What about you, Life Point Riverdale? What do you value? What do you prize? You may be familiar with Jesus' teachings. You may know his story really well. You may know a lot about Jesus. So did Judas. How do you respond to Christ in your life? How do you respond today? How do you respond tomorrow when you're not at church or Tuesday? Is Jesus a means to an end for you? Is he your ticket to a better life, more stuff, better health? Is that what you see him as? Maybe elevated status? We are still in the Bible belt for a little bit longer. Maybe it's the respect of your parents you think you'll get if you're a good church-going man or woman. Maybe you're here because you think it's just good for your kids and you hope your kids will turn out right if you guys go to church. Do you look at Jesus and think, what do I stand to get from him? Or do you look at Jesus and say, what do I stand to give to him? Do you cling to your talents, energy, time, and money and only tip Jesus whenever we preach a sermon about tithing and you feel guilty? Or does your heart desire to throw everything you have at his feet in adoration and praise of who he is and what he has done for you? Think of the way that you use your time. Is your time too valuable to offer him? Man, I'd love to... I would love to spend some time in prayer. I know I, need to, I know I need to spend time in scripture, but goodness gracious, man, I'm so busy. Well, get up 30 minutes earlier. Is that, thir- is that last 30 minutes of your sleep that valuable to you? Well, I mean, come on, I'll be, I'll be a little tired the rest of the day. Well, then you may be a little tired the rest of the day. What is Christ worth to you? What is he worth to you? Is he worth setting an alarm 30 minutes earlier? That's a small thing to give to him. I want to do family worship, but man, I'm so beat by the end of the day, but I'm tired, okay? But what is the worship of your family worth to you? Every parent committed to family worship is tired at the end of the day. Everyone is. Being committed to family worship doesn't come with some magic serum that you take that makes you full of energy. What is the worship of your family worship to you? Kids ministry, student ministry. Here at this church, we need volunteers to help make ministry happen. We need people who are going to pour into the lives of kids and students in our ministry. What is that worth to you? What is the glory of Christ among the next generation worth to you on a Sunday morning? Is it worth giving one more hour on a Sunday morning to come and serve before or after you come in here to worship? Is Christ worth that to you? What matters the most? What about your resources? Man, I'd love to tithe, but I can't afford it. Is that true? Is that true? Or does your money go to the things that you value the most? And the Lord just didn't make the list. Obeying the Lord didn't make the list. What does the Lord tell us? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But brothers and sisters, even these are small things. These are small things. 10% of your salary is a small thing. 
Giving up an hour on Sunday morning is valuable, but it's a small thing in the grand scheme of life. Mary gave her most valuable thing to Jesus. What, 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 her, her, her most prized possession she gave to Jesus. Would you be willing to give your most prized possession to Christ? If Christ called you to sell everything you have and move overseas in order to do missions, would you do that? Is your life here near your parents, near your community, where your families live forever? Is uprooting that and leaving worth it to you? Is your comfort worth it to you? Is your reputation at your work, if I start talking about Jesus all the time, they're going to call me Jesus man, Jesus boy, Bible guy. People are going to think I'm a bigot. Is your reputation worth the glory and worship of Jesus Christ? I may lose my job. If I live in my workplace, I may lose my job. Then you may lose your job. What is he worth to you? What matters the most? See, listen, we can respond to Christ either like Mary or Judas. <laughs> what will the object of our worship be? What will the object of our worship be? And listen, and, and when, I, when I talk about you know, jobs and stuff, you understand, some of you may think that's easy for you to say, preacher guy, church pays your salary, you can do all the stuff, you don't, you, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, like, Yes. You know, LifePoint Brussels ministers in, a, in, in one of the places in the world that is one of the most hostile to Orthodox Christianity. We're small enough to fly under the radar, but you wait for the day that LifePoint Brussels ends up on some watch list somewhere in the Belgian government because we're transphobic, hate speech, or whatever else. You wait for the day that LifePoint Riverdale ends up on some watch list somewhere. You may already be on one. This will cost all of us, but what is it worth to us? The lamb who was slain deserves the reward of his suffering. So here's the heart of Mary and Judas's response. Judas didn't realize who he was, but Mary realized who she was. Mary realized she was undeserving, needy, guilty. She modeled herself after this prostitute earlier in the Gospels because Mary knew that before the Lord, there's no difference between her and that woman of the city. And that apart from faith in Christ, she had no hope. So she submitted herself and she bowed low before the Lord, knowing that he indeed welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. And Jesus says that her story would be told for all generations. As long as the church is in the world, we will be telling the story of Mary anointing Christ's feet. The church will always have this fragrance lingering on in our sanctuaries for the rest of history. Let's leave ourselves ask, let's leave here asking ourselves this question today. Is my life filled with the stench of death or is it filled with the aroma of worship? And the first thing we have to ask to determine that, where is my faith? Is my faith in Christ or is my faith in myself, my own talents, my own good deeds? Is my faith in hoping that there is no Jesus and when I die, nothing happens? Is that my hope? Where is my faith and what is my life filled with? If you are not a, a Christian here, 
That's the first question you have to ask. Where is my faith? And I would invite you to put your faith in Christ because I think that maybe the Holy Spirit could be pressing on your heart right now. For brothers and sisters in the room, what does your life look like? Do we value Christ with our most valuable things in our lives? Is our life filled with the stench of death or with the fragrance, the aroma of worship? What is my life really about? So with that being said, I want to invite the band and I want to invite, I think we have a couple deacons who are going to come up to the front for prayer. Um, you may not have the answer to that. I don't know what my life is about, you may say. I, I, I'm very confused. Well, the Lord says, or in, in the Psalms, the psalmist prays, search my heart, show me my ways. That might be a prayer you need to pray, maybe where you are. Or I would invite you to come up and, and ask one of the deacons to pray for you and say, man, I, maybe I know where I stand, maybe I don't, but, but can you pray with me? I would invite you to do that as we worship. But as we, as we uh, prepare to go into worship, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And, and, and again, I ask that your word would truly grip and pierce our hearts. Lord, all of our, all of our hearts are idol factories. We are the best at prioritizing everything else in our lives aside from you. That, that's what our flesh does. We are often undisciplined and lazy, selfish egotistical. We're sinful. And we rejoice at the gospel-filled song we just sang, that our sins are many, but your mercy is more. So God, would you have mercy on us and help us, Lord, by your spirit, would you help us to cherish and prize your son more than anything else? Not even for the purpose of bringing other people to faith, but because Christ deserves to be worshiped. And Lord, I pray that as our hearts are rightly oriented toward cherishing Christ as our greatest treasure, by your mercy, you would bring other people to see. See that Christ matters more to us than anything else. I pray that for myself, Lord. Lord, would our church, would our families, would our lives be places where Christ is treasured above all. And it's in his name that we say all these things. Amen.